Yeah, it's good stuff. You know, when I think about camp, I think about that word connection. You heard the young lady say it. I just feel like I'm more connected. And I think she meant two things by that, right? Connected with her peers as they interacted together at camp and connected with God. And so uh, we got to pray as a staff that those connections would continue as campers come home. They've been home now for a week that they would plug back into a biblical community. And, you know, this desire for connection is not just unique to our students. It's really, it's a human desire, whether you're in kids in elementary or you're an adult, we all want to connect. And so this week at Radius Lexington, we had a chance to do that. On Tuesday night, uh, we hosted a women's bunco event, which uh, there were 80-plus ladies out in the lobby. And, uh, yeah, this is good stuff. And they, they were connecting as they threw the dice. Actually, I probably should, can't, I should change that. They were rolling the dice. I'm sure it didn't get too heated out there. But over 80 ladies connecting together. And then on Wednesday night, the men, it was our turn, and so we connected over some cornhole and some ping pong and uh, connected with, what was it, 625 chicken wings. We connected with those as well, and, and so it was a really, uh, really great evening, and so our desire for you is that if, if you want to plug in more, that you would also find a way to connect here at Radius. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, uh, a little bit more here in a minute, but if you'll allow me uh, a moment to just address something pretty personal um, before we pray and dive into the text, um, I, I just I need to kind of settle the score here with one of our staff members. And so about three or four weeks ago, Jeremy Simmons, our group's pastor, stood up here. He gave a benediction. He announced these events, and he declared to you something that I thought was pretty big. He said something along the lines of, come to these events where I will, quote, be crushing everyone in ping pong. Now, I don't know. I feel like I heard my name when he said that. Maybe it's just because I thought it was this personal thing towards me, but I took it pretty seriously. And uh, well, I'll just cut to the chase. They say that actions speak louder than words. And so uh, <laughs> better luck next year, Jeremy. That's right. This is the uh, Radius Church Lexington Ping Pong Champion 2023. And yours truly is the ping pong champion. And so uh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, pretty proud of that. So that's nah, just a plastic trophy, though. We, uh, we probably should pray after this and really get our hearts settled on what matters. So would you, would you do that with me real quick? Uh, Lord, I am grateful for uh, camp and all these students that had the chance to connect with each other and connect with their leaders. And uh, most importantly, Lord, connect with you, some of them uh, perhaps for the first time thankful for things like bunco and chicken wings that, God, you could even use that to further your kingdom. And so we, uh, we're just really grateful to, to have this opportunity to connect. And so, Lord, we want to connect with your word this morning. And I just confess, you know, where my heart has been this week is I've been anxious, uh, preparing, but also just anxious to get up in front of a group of folks and teach and and uh, yet, Lord, you've used that anxiety to push me to my knees to pray and to depend on you. And so, really, that's why we're here, Lord. None of these words that I'm about to say have any weight or value or meaning if you don't use them. And so, that's my prayer, that you would open our hearts and that you would move and you would speak and we would learn from you today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to go ahead and open it up to the book of Hebrews. We've been in this series now, Real Lives, Real Faith, for about nine weeks. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 11 to start, and then we'll jump back into the Old Testament as we talk about our, 
our hero, our representative of the faith, a lady named Rahab, who's got this awesome story that uh, I hope you'll be blessed by it as much as I have been over the past few weeks. And so I'm going to read a couple verses in chapter 11 just to kind of prime the pump on this idea of what is faith. That's really what we've been trying to do over this series is nail down a biblical definition of faith. And so let me read verse 1 to us. Uh, It says this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. I'm going to stop there for a minute. We see words like reality and proof. And we're reminded that faith has got this really visible component to it, right? Braden said a few weeks ago, Jesus was amazed by a lack of faith, and he was amazed by great faith. I hope that surely we all know someone in our life that we've watched and we've said, that's what faith looks like, right? There's this visible component. But then we see words like what is hoped for and what is not seen. And we're reminded there's this kind of mysterious invisible component of faith. It's like there's a part of it's a little bit hard to nail down, and it it can be a little tricky. And so I want you to hold those two things in tension this morning, this idea that faith is both visible and it's invisible. Um, As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews continues with this theme in verse 3, where it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by God's command, so that what is seen has been made from things that are not seen or not visible. So if, if you walk away from, from today, um, I hope you walk away with this idea that faith has got a visible component, but it's also got this invisible component. In preparation for today, uh, I went back and I listened to all of the messages that were taught specifically here at Radius Lexington, just to kind of help my mind and my heart uh, really put another puzzle piece, if you will, into this equation of what is faith. And the, and the guys that have been up here have done a fantastic job. And so if you're new today, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to those. But maybe it's been nine weeks for you from that first sermon, just like it was for me, and you need a little bit of a refresher. So I'm going to give you a few tidbits, kind of maybe the one takeaway that I had from a few of those messages, uh, just to help us get our hearts ready this morning. So uh, the first week, John quoted Tim Keller Uh, Tim Keller was a a really famous pastor up in New York who recently passed away. And Tim is famous for saying a lot of things, very quotable guy. But he said that faith was believing in Jesus and then believing Jesus. And John's explanation there was there's this point where we come face to face with what Christ has done for us and we respond to that. That's that invisible piece. But then when we believe him and we take him at his word, then there's this visible obedience that should follow. Uh, Russell challenged us with the story of Enoch, and he described faith as walking with God. And he gave two components to faith as well. He said there's a faith that justifies, and there's a faith that sanctifies. A faith that puts our hearts right before God, and then a faith that changes our lives and our behavior and what people see on the outside. Uh, Braden said this quote, and it's from somebody, but forgive me, I don't remember who it is, so... I can't remember who to give credit to, but he said, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone, right? There's this component to faith, this vertical piece, and there's this horizontal piece. Jeremy challenged us with the idea that faith gives second chances, and then last week you heard Stevie teach about Moses, and he really wanted us to look at where is our treasure, this idea that faith would somehow be related to our heart and to our treasure And he finished with saying, like, where do we put our hope? So for me, I'm one of those one-liner kind of guys, and I'm just going to give you mine. 
okay? So you're not going to have to search for it. If you're a note taker, this may be the only thing you write down today, but I hope it's helpful for you. All right, it's what I would say is maybe my definition from what I've been reading. This is my quote, if you will, um, about what faith is. Okay, are you ready? Get your pencils ready. Put it down. Here it is. Faith is a demonstration of a declaration. Okay, so I'm going to say that again. It's the demonstration, that's that visible horizontal piece, of a declaration, the invisible, the vertical connection that we have with God. Now, you may be saying, okay, that, that's cool. That might, you know, go on some notes somewhere. Maybe you could put it on a billboard. But what, what exactly are we talking about? Demonstration and declaration surrounding what? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you a, just a real quick course on what we might call Christianity 101. Okay, I'm going to teach you about this thing called the gospel, all right? Gospel is a word that literally means good news, Okay, and so if you're a Christian in the room, this is not new to you, but maybe you're sitting here and you say, I've heard the gospel, I've heard people talk about the gospel, but I'm not really sure what it is. I hope today makes it really clear, okay? So as Christians, we believe that there is an all-powerful, all-knowing creator God. He's holy, he's perfect, he is without sin, and he created the world and he created people. Your Bible tells us that in Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he made man and woman after his image, okay? And the world was perfect. It was good, and it was very good, and God blessed it. But in chapter 3, it didn't take long for mankind to mess it all up. We're pretty good at that, right? And so Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God's command, and now that relationship that they enjoyed with God was broken because God is holy and we are not. And because God is perfect, he cannot be in the presence of sin and because we are sinners, we now have broken that relationship, and we can't be in his presence. He kicks them out of the garden, and for the rest of your Bible, we get a story about tons of sinners, right? It's just lots of folks. Trey taught you guys about the sin cycle, right? Like, we're not immune to this. We've all inherited this curse of sin in our own lives. I'm a dad of four kids, and I can tell you it's a real thing, right? Like, I didn't have to teach any of my kids how to do the wrong thing. They knew how to do that on their very own, right? So I'm constantly trying to reverse this curse. Now, if I told you that the Bible was just about a whole bunch of sinners in need of a Savior, I'd be halfway correct, right? Because it is a Bible full of human stories, all of which we've talked about in this series. But the greatest part about the Bible is that these stories in the Old Testament point to one man, Jesus Christ, who would come in the New Testament, and his, his job would be to restore that relationship between God and man. So you've probably heard the name Jesus. Hopefully, here in the South, we talk about Jesus a lot. We celebrate him a couple of times a year, really big ways, right? He was born, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. He came to earth as a baby, and he grew up as a young man and into a man, and he lived to be 33, 36 years roughly, and he had a ministry on the earth. Now, his ministry was very specific. He was going to come to save mankind. That's what his name means. It means he will save his people from their sins. So this idea that that broken relationship could be restored is made possible by only one man, and that is Jesus himself. Now, in order to do that, Jesus obeyed perfectly. He was the second Adam. He was the perfect Adam. Adam disobeyed. Jesus obeyed. And Jesus obeyed all the way to the cross. And so when he died on the cross, that's what we call Good Friday, but thankfully, he didn't stay dead. 
Three days later, he rose again, and that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And his resurrection from the grave displayed his power over sin and death. So now, that news is what we call the gospel. But we have a responsibility to do something with it. Okay? Every person on the planet has a responsibility, when they've heard this news, to respond to it. And there's only two responses. You can accept it. You can believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. You can put your trust in him. And the Bible says you are saved. We're going to read that here in just a minute. Or you can reject it. You can choose to not agree with this. And you can say, I'm going to do things my own way. I'm not going to submit to God. Whatever the case may be, you are going to make a declaration in your heart about what Jesus has done. And it's either going to be for him or against him. One of our memory verses this year in Radius Kids was Romans 10, 9 and 10. And it says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One of the translations says that the word confess means declare. If you declare with your mouth okay, and believe in your heart. 1 John 4, 15 put it to us this way. Whoever confesses or declares that Jesus is the Son of God God remains in him, and he in God. So this declaration is what we call justifying faith. It's this invisible, forensic change that happens in our hearts when we say, Lord, you are God, and I am no longer number one in my life. And it's invisible, right? I can't walk around and go, you've done it. You've done it, right? I can't see that change in your heart, the, act, the actual change. Now, Consider this the removal of yourself as the, the master of your own life. Did you know that you have a master? Everybody in here has got a boss. Whether you think you do or not, you, you've got one, right? It's either yourself, right? You're going to live by your ways and your, your rules and your, your desires. Uh, maybe it could be your job. It could be your kids. It could be your stuff. Or hopefully, it could be Jesus, right? If Jesus is your master, then you no longer live for yourself. And so that's what I mean when I say declaration. It's responding to that news of what Jesus has done and saying, I'm with you. Now, demonstration of your faith is the natural follow-up of the declaration, right? It's the visible piece. It, it should be seen. That's what we ought to be able to look at as Christians and go, they have evidence that they have made that decision, right? Their, their life displays or demonstrates that Christ has changed their heart. But let me be really clear, okay? The demonstration of your faith does not save you. Okay, I want to be really clear here. Don't walk out of here and say, well, he said it's the demonstration of a declaration, so I'm going to make sure I demonstrate really well today. No, 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 no. It starts with the declaration of the heart. And out of that changed heart, the demonstration follows. And so let me be clear, Christ alone is what saves you. Nothing you demonstrate can do that, okay? So what about Rahab, all right? You're like, hey, you said you were going to talk about Rahab. Let's talk about Rahab. Well, jump down to verse 31 in Hebrews 11. We're going to get a one-sentence summary about this woman, Rahab, and we'll actually go back into the Old Testament to talk about her story. So verse 31 says this, by faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. I know a lot of you just got uncomfortable. 
He just said the word prostitute. Don't worry, I'm not even going to touch that part of her story, okay? As a matter of fact, do I think it's a cool part of her story? It absolutely is, but I don't even think it's the main idea about who she is. There's something more here. There's a lot more to her story than just that. And so to get that story, we're going to turn back to the book of Joshua, all right? It's in the Old Testament. Joshua is the sixth book in your Bible. And I want to give you a little bit of context that'll take us up to where we are introduced to Rahab in this book. Okay, we'll be in chapter two, by the way. So uh, last week you heard Stevie talk about Moses. Moses is one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. He was the leader of the Israelites. He led the people out of Egypt, the whole Pharaoh thing and, uh, and Passover. And they, they left Egypt and they, uh, they parted. They, they didn't part. God parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. And then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years as they headed towards this place called the Promised Land. Now, Moses disobeyed a certain way. It was kind of a bad deal, but uh, he did something he shouldn't have. And God looked at him. He said, okay, I am going to show you the promised land, but I'm not going to let you go into it. Someone else is going to become the leader after you who will actually lead the people into the promised land. So that's what happens. Moses gets taken up onto a mountain. He gets to see the promised land. And then Moses dies, and he has appointed a successor, a guy named Joshua. Now, Joshua uh, was a spy in the past, and he was a faithful guy who served Moses. And Joshua is going to lead the people across the Jordan River, which, by the way, it's no coincidence that the river was in flood stage, and God parted the river, and the waters walled up on their left, and they walked across on dry ground, very similar to what the Israelites had done at the Red Sea. And God used this miracle to let the people know, just as I was with Moses, so also I am going to be with Joshua. Okay, so it's a pretty successful transfer of leadership. And now Joshua is headed towards the promised land, but there's one problem. The enemies of God are in the land, and they're called Canaanites. Okay, and so Joshua is a military mind, and there's going to be a conquest, a, a battle, if you will. And, and so Joshua's got to do a little bit of reconnaissance. Having been a spy himself, he decides to send out a few spies into the land and specifically into the city of Jericho. All right. So these spies show up. They are welcomed in by Rahab, the woman we just talked about, and she gives them cover. And then the king of Jericho sends some men and says, hey, we want those spies. We know they're with you. And she's like, no, they're not here anymore. They left. And if you hurry, you can catch them, that whole deal. And so the king's men have left, and that's where we pick up in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 2. All right, it says this, Before the men fell asleep, she, Rahab, went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely just destroyed across the Jordan. So here we see a crucial element of Rahab's faith, knowledge through hearing. Okay, so she starts her statement with, I know, we know, we have heard. Does that sound like a declaration to you? She's making it really clear. The news around town has traveled quickly. I live in the city wall. I know all that's gone on. I have heard about your God and what he is capable of. So a question that we ought to stop and just ask ourselves is in the year 2023 is what do we know about God? Right? Like what have we heard about God? 
That's going to be the basis or the beginning of faith for us is what we know and what we've heard. Romans chapter 10 tells us in several places that faith comes by hearing. It asks the questions, how can anyone call on God if they have not believed in him? And how can they believe in him if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about him if no one tells them? This is why we're named Radius, by the way, is because we believe it's our responsibility to be the people who tell right? In your neighborhood, in your office, in the places where you live, work, and play, that's your job to be the person who speaks that good news, the gospel that we just talked about earlier, so that people would have a chance to know and hear about God. In this particular situation, because of Rahab's position, she's, uh, she's probably a very prominent woman in this town despite her occupation, but she lives on the wall, and she's got access to this knowledge, and none of this is like fantasy news for her. This is all real events. They've heard about Egypt and the Red Sea. They've heard about these two very real kings named Sihon and Og and what what the God of the Israelites has done to them. But it's not just about factual knowledge for her. Do you see the evidence of her heart in this particular passage? She says this, there is terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. She's afraid. I mean, wouldn't you be too? Right? The whole city is, is, is panicking because of what has happened. And so she's essentially saying, we know what your God has done, and we know that he is headed our way. It's a pretty desperate and bleak situation. I can imagine a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos. Um, I don't have time to talk through this as a longer story, but it's probably really similar to what we felt as a nation on September 11th. Right? A lot of confusion, a lot of chaos, terror, panic. Right? That's what's happening in Jericho. So let's read on in verse 11. When we heard this, we lost heart. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Does that sound like a declaration to you? Did you hear what she just said? Your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now keep in mind, Rahab's a Canaanite woman. She worships Canaanite gods. But this one sentence, if you will, gives us a sneak peek into her heart. It shows us something has changed. We didn't get to see it, but now we're seeing evidence of it. She's not declaring allegiance to the Canaanite gods. She's declaring allegiance to Israel's God. This is a big deal. We don't think about this as much in our Western modern-day context, this idea of loyalty and allegiance. But I'm going to do my very best to give you a history lesson Um, I'm no Bible scholar. You can ask Russell for all of those questions, right? Um, But for me, I I was looking up some things, and what was it like to serve a god in the ancient Near East? Well, it was pretty simple, actually. The gods were responsible for two things. Uh, First off, they resided in the heavens, and they had jurisdiction over a geographical territory. Okay, so they were responsible for a certain land area. And they were going to do two things. They were going to protect the land, And they were going to provide for the people. Jeremy mentioned this a few weeks back when he talked about covenants. And so that's what people would do to demonstrate their allegiance to their God is they would do some sort of covenant. And there would be a lot of weird stuff happening there and blood would be shed and it was kind of gross and everything. But that was their way of saying, I'm with you and I'm going to follow you. And all that that God required was allegiance or loyalty or trust or what we might even call faith. 
So keep in mind, Rahab has most likely made a covenant with her God, but now she has shifted teams. She's changed her allegiance. It's almost like she walks out of the dugout, across the field, puts on the other team's jersey, and goes to bat for them. I mean, can you imagine, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but if Larry Bird was wearing a Lakers jersey, right? Like, we just can't even think about that. It's like, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, no one would ever shift allegiances, right? But, I mean, if, if, if you can't relate to that, just the transfer portal, anybody? We, do, do we really care about loyalty anymore, right? I mean, I find it interesting that we make this, it's a really big deal, these commits, and I love it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're young. They're in high school when they do this, but they sit at a table and they sign their name. I'm committing to this school, and what happens one or two years later when they don't get their way? Well, off they go, right? A loyalty and allegiance. Sports analogies don't really do this justice, and so I'm going to do my very best to give you a personal example. Um, 14 years ago, last Tuesday, uh, unfortunately, my wife wasn't able to attend the Bunko night because it was our anniversary. And so she and I were, were celebrating 14 years of marriage. And, and, uh, but we stood before God and about 300 people at Wiley Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas, and we made a declaration to each other, right? We call them vows, but we pledged our faithfulness to one another till death do us part. And I, I don't mean to keep bringing up Russell's name. By the way, if, you, if you've listened to this series, he's made an appearance somehow in like every message since he left. It's kind of, can't get rid of the guy. I'm like, but uh, Russell Johnson, for those of you who don't know, that's my brother-in-law, and he was the one who officiated our wedding. And so we made this declaration, and then he declared us as man and wife, and then I couldn't wait because what's coming next? The demonstration of my declaration, Right. <laughs> He's about to say those words that every groom can't wait to hear. You may now kiss the bride, right? So my demonstration was the overflow of my declaration. And hopefully, hopefully I've continued to demonstrate that, right, over 14 years. Um, consistency, there's this idea that our, our demonstration and our declaration, they should align, right? They, they should be matched up. That's the mark of of faith is when we see those things together in tandem. And so you might be saying, okay, I got it. Rahab has made a declaration. She has said, God is God in heaven above and on earth below, which by the way is another way of her saying, my God's not going to protect our land. I see what your God is doing to all of the lands, and I'm putting my faith and trust in him, right? That's what she's doing. So now what about her demonstration? How does she give evidence of her faith? Well, I'm glad you asked, but here's a spoiler alert. We've actually already read it. Okay, she's actually already demonstrated part of her faith according to the Hebrews 11 passage. So I'm going to read that verse 31 again. You don't have to turn back there, but it'll be on your screen. By faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Okay, so her demonstration of what has changed on the inside happens when she welcomes the spies in, and then ultimately we see it when she is spared from destruction, right? When she doesn't, dis she doesn't perish with those who disobeyed. So let's keep reading in Joshua chapter 2. Uh, go with me to verse 12, and we'll pick up the next part of the story. Rahab is speaking, and she says, Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family, because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. So here Rahab is essentially saying, hey, I've proven to you that I'm on your team, right? I, I, I hid you, I took you in, 
Now, I'm asking you to believe me. I'm asking you for a favor in response, right? So there's, I've demonstrated to you, now would you demonstrate to me? There's a lot of hesitation here on the spies, which, by the way, I don't think is insignificant, um, as they're going to question her a lot in this passage, kind of a typical male response, no offense, fellas, but that she's pretty clear in her words, and there's a lot of like resistance and hesitation on their part. But I do think this underscores the significance of what she's doing. That whole allegiance transfer would have been hard to buy into. It would have been hard to believe. So verse 14, this is how the men answer her. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours. They should have just stopped right there. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Now, I don't want to belabor this point, but now they've both made a declaration, haven't they? She has said what she'll do for them, and they have said what they will do for her. It's time now to show up and demonstrate it, okay? So verse 15 and 16 is going to tell us a little bit more about that. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. Rahab gives them instructions, and she says, hey, there's only one way for you to show that you trust me, and it's to do what I'm telling you to do, right? Just do it. Obey my words. Go to the hill country. Hide yourselves. The spies from our city are going to come looking for you, but they're only going to do that for a couple of days. Sit tight, and when they return, then you'll be free to go on your way. Surely by now, they would look at her and say, okay, Rahab, we got it. We're with you. We're ready to go, but they don't. So let's read verse 17. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear, unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his blood will be on his own head, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his blood will be on our heads. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear." Okay, fellas, I think we got it, right? We get it. Don't report the mission. Uh, But at some point, they need to just settle it in their hearts that Rahab's either going to do this or she's not going to do this. And so um, let's see what, what she does. Verse 21, let it be as you say, she replied. And she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. There's her demonstration. They told her what to do. She did it. It's pretty simple. I don't think that's insignificant that the, the cord is scarlet, that it's red. Um, I, I'm not going to go through a whole symbolic issue here, but I will just tell you this. The Israelites had just celebrated Passover not long right before this. And Passover was that event where as they came out of Egypt, they had to kill a lamb, an innocent lamb, and they had to put the blood over the door. And when the angel of death would pass over the land and see that blood, he would pass over their house and spare the death of their firstborn child. So now we have another version of Passover happening right here as Rahab's going to hang this scarlet cord out her window. And when the the Israelite troops come in and take over the city, they are going to know that we pass over that house. Everybody who's in it is going to be rescued. So let's see what what happens here. Um, Chapters 3, 4, 5, and almost all of 6 are going to give us the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. 
Uh, Braden taught on that a few weeks ago, but if you guys remember the whole march around the city once a day for seven days, and then they blew the trumpets, and then they did it seven times on the seventh day, and the walls came tumbling down, right? So jump down to chapter 6, verse 21, and we're going to see the effects of that. We're going to see the results, or as Paul Harvey would say, the end of the story, the rest of the story. Chapter 6, verse 21, they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. Skip down to verse 25. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's household, and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she lives in Israel to this day. There are a ton of ways that we could go uh, with this story, a lot of things that uh, we could do a series on Rahab, Um, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. Uh, First, God uses unlikely people for his purposes, right? I don't know where you are in the room. You might be saying, well, you don't know what I've done, and you don't know my past, and you don't know what I'm walking in here with and the baggage that I have. Let me just say this. Look no further than the story of Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, to answer the question, can God use me? Right? Not only did Rahab rescue herself in this situation from physical destruction, but she took that news that she was given, and l- let me just parallel that like, it, like it's us today, this gospel message. She took that news, and what'd she do with it? She shared it with everyone in her family, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and then the text says, and all who belonged to her. I, I can't help but imagine that Rahab's house surely was brimming with people. I would hope, right? I would hope they would all respond to her message of hope about this Israelite God that was headed their way, and they would choose to be in the house. Can you imagine if all they had to do is just stay in the house? That's what it is. That's what the red cord symbolizes. All they had to do was come into the house, and they would be protected. Obedience is sacrificial, right? Rahab gave up her old way of life, to embrace a new way of life. And the text tells us at the very end of that verse, she lives in Israel to this day. So she's no longer a Canaanite woman worshiping Canaanite gods, but she is an Israelite woman. Uh, The last thing I'll tell you, this was a bonus. I didn't know if I'd have time for it, but um, Rahab is going to go on to marry a guy named Salmon or give birth to a guy named Salmon, sorry. Salmon is going to be the father of a man named Boaz. Uh, Boaz and Ruth are going to have a child named Obed, and Obed's going to be the father of Jesse, and Jesse's going to be the father of King David. So here's Rahab, this unlikely woman who now is going to become the great, 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 great grandmother of King David. But even more importantly than that, she's going to become in the, uh, she's going to be listed in the lineage of Jesus, uh, which is also really cool. So for us, I just think we need to end by thinking about a few questions today. Um, I was a school teacher, and reflection questions were a must at the end of a lesson, right? You had to give them something to walk away with, something to think about, and so I think this is what we need to do today. The first question is this. What is your heart declaring? You should be honest with yourself. Remember, no one else can see this, right? It's, it's invisible, but it's, it's within you, and God can see it. What is your heart saying today? What's it declaring? And then secondly, what is your life demonstrating today? Does your demonstration match your declaration? Jesus has got some hard words for some guys who they declared one thing with their mouth, but their life didn't demonstrate it, right? So this idea that these things should match is significant. Whatever it is, um, I just want to invite you 
before you take communion today, which by the way, um, communion is a demonstration of an inward change, right? It's the demonstration of a declaration for us as believers. Before you come up here and you take that, uh, I'd ask you to consider these questions. And, um, and if you need to do some business with the Lord ahead of time, then, then why don't you do that? Let me pray for us.